Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. I'm excited to share with you my very special guest today. I've had the pleasure of being on her podcast twice now. Uh, Feels like I'm becoming a regular in a good way. It's a blessing. I just uh, was interviewed by her last week and when I saw her new book in the background of the frame, it was such a cool title, such an important, relevant topic that I thought we have to have her on the Soul Talk podcast. She's a licensed psychotherapist, global relationship and empowerment expert. For over two decades, she's worked with a diverse group of clients from all walks of life, moms and celebrities, Fortune 500 CEOs. Um, her new book, Boundary Boss, we're going to be discussing boundaries and all sorts of other good stuff. Welcome to Soul Talk, Terry Cole. Welcome. Why, thanks, Coop. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. It was fun being with, on with you the other day. And it I really, really was. Really enjoyed our deep dive. Really enjoyed our deep dive. Uh, you know, I'm, cu- I'm always curious how people got started uh, doing what they were doing. You've never been on Soul Talk. And so I think uh, a lot of my folks listening in, this might be the first time they're getting to know you, know of you, of your work. And so how did you get started in this line of work as a therapist and teacher and seminars? And what was that pathway? What was that entry? It was really my own therapeutic process was sort of the, the entry. I got into therapy young myself in life. So I was 19 years old when I think I started. And then I stopped drinking when I was 21. And both of those things were impactful for what ended up happening in my life. And I really, you know, being a therapist was a third career, kind of, maybe a second career. I was in entertainment for a bunch of years. I was um, a talent agent for celebrities and um, supermodels, like negotiating contracts for movies and um, endorsement deals. But my process, my own process of becoming more and more mentally healthy and realizing what a problem I had in my younger life with boundaries, not even knowing how to, you know, as I call it, talk true, right? How to actually tell the truth about what was going on for me, being very outwardly focused, approval oriented, the disease to please, all of these experiences. I didn't know that they had to do with boundaries then because I didn't know what boundaries were, Mm. but it caused a lot of pain in my life. So once I was into um, the entertainment world, I already had a clue of what had been causing so much pain for me and complicating my relationships and just making conflict because it's almost like when you don't know how to 
talk directly or tell the truth about how you feel about something, it's almost like you're talking in code and wondering why you're misunderstood all the time. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, why can't you just intuit what I'm saying, Coot? You know, mm-hmm. like, because I can't read your mind. So, anyway, I was in entertainment and I just got to a point where I realized that I was, I could no longer deny that I was way more interested in the mental health of my clients than I was the movie deal I should have been excited about, but kind of wasn't. Because I found that entertainment was such a boundaryless land of merging people and merging personal and professional Mm. that I just realized I need to get out of here. And I thought there's got to be something more. Um, And it's not to diss entertainment. It's I love entertainment, but something more meaningful for me personally Mm. that I could be doing with my life. Like this can't really be my dharma was my thought. Mm. And so I, at the height of my career, according to my father, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I decided I would quit entertainment and go to grad school and become a therapist. And that was in my early thirties. And then once I got into the trenches with my clients it was so evident. Was it was it a hard decision? Was it was it something that you wrestled with? And, Absolutely. and I guess before you keep going, because I'm, I'm really fascinated by the story. How did you get to that point of acknowledging this deeper truth and making the shift? Because I think a lot of people they feel it, but they never make that shift because they're attached to the career and the success and the fame and the comfort and everything that comes with it. How did you cross over? I have to say it was absolutely challenging and took time. It probably took three years from when I thought, wow, I should get out of here to when I got out of there. And part of the thing that was hard, like it it was, I really had to think about, can I live being poor for a while? And the answer to that was yes. I mean, I had made a lot of money. I had not saved a lot of money. I had traveled quite extensively, though. I had done really what I wanted to do with my money. (laughs) So, you know, some people are like, oh, you must have made all this money and had it all saved. I'm like, no, (laughs) that did not happen because it would have probably have been an easier decision had I been more fiscally responsible in my 20s. But I wasn't. And I have no regrets about it. But that was one thing I had to look at. Mm. I really got that. For me, I never really lived above my means, even when I was making a lot of money. I had a rent-stabilized apartment. I was like, you know, the money, I know the money will come eventually, right? Because whatever, wherever I would find myself, Mm -hmm. I would just eventually figure out how to have it be successful or lucrative. As long as I didn't give up, then it would happen eventually. So that was one thing. But it was also, there was this sense of what other people thought about me about the career, you know, people are fascinated with entertainment. And this was in the 90s when supermodels were like goddesses. Yeah. It was a very popular time to have access to that kind of social power, I guess it is. And Mm. I had already stopped drinking and doing drugs or anything like that. So there was no other, like for me, where people are like, oh my God, you get to go to the parties or the fashion shows. I'm like, no. (laughs) <laughs> I don't really want to do those things, but being masterful, I think to, to really go back to your question in a real way, mm. the, the hardest part for me was to go from being masterful, really good at something to going into like the very beginning of a learning curve mm. 
that part was hard for my ego. I was worried. Even though I love learning, you get to you get used to being good at something and like where it's people think it's fancy, but you're like, but this is what I do every day. So I really had to wrestle with, can I be in that learning state and be excited? And I took one course at NYU non-matriculating before I ended up in the program. And I loved it so much. It was abnormal psych. Hmm. And I was like, yes, this is what I am absolutely meant to be doing. So there were, once I did that, mm. then I pulled the trigger. There was no other doubt after mm. that. Wow. And then how did that progress? You, 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 you went through the schooling, graduated, and then just started seeing people, seeing clients. And tell me a bit about that journey, the beginning stages and how, it, I'm just curious how it grew and then writing books and into where you are now. What's interesting is that I went from being a talent agent hmm. to being a psychotherapist. So it would make sense that my practice was so many people in, you know, all my friends who were agents and casting directors were like, oh my God, you're a shrink now? Amazing. So people, they just started sending oh, me gotcha. people. So in a way, it was kind of this perfect niche market because I understood the life of an actor or a model or a celebrity because it's a different life than yeah. other lives, yeah. right? There's something specific that comes along with celebrity that is psychological without mm -hmm. a doubt. You're living in a fishbowl, you know? Mm -hmm. So this niche market started. So how it really started is one of my old students was in a Broadway show and then she sent me one person and then that was five people. And then I was like, wow, I can't take any more people from Mamma Mia. Like I literally have 18 people from the cast who I'm yeah. seeing. And then they would move, one person would move to the next Broadway show. And then suddenly I'd have five people from Mary Poppins. Like it was just wow. Wow. so interesting that it was, and it wasn't only that market, but that was a big part yeah. of the niche market. But then it was lighting directors and directors, casting mm. directors, you know, agents, managers too. So I was out of entertainment, but I kind of wasn't, right? Because my clientele was still in entertainment. And I did that for a, a long time before creating any kind of a public platform. The first terrible website I had was in 2011, I think. Like, no, 2008 actually, maybe, because I'm, I'm good friends with Chris Carr, who was an actor. I don't know if you know her, but she, she has a website she talks about her cancer journey and now she's just a wellness expert, but she had a, a, you know, a movie come out. There was all of this heat on her and then she got invited to be on Oprah. And so she was like, do you have to be the crazy, sexy therapist on my site, Terry? I don't have a license. You have to do this. And I was like, okay. She's like, so you need to make a website by next Wednesday. When I fly to Chicago, I was like, I do. Oh my God. What, how do you do that? Like, this is what, and I have no tech skills. So Literally like a splash page was my website. <laughs> and I was like, why is nobody coming here? And one of my friends was like, um, you need to write a blog more often than once every three months. Right. I was like, oh, I uh, see. Yeah. So that was the beginning of the public mm. life. But then my own and really sort of pursuing this, moving my, my business from a one-on-one -on -one sort of pay-per-play type of therapy business to really a virtual um, teaching, coaching, 
business. That happened over time. For a long time, I held on to uh, a certain number of clients, mm-hmm. you know, higher profile people struggling with fame, those types of things. Um, because again, it's it's a niche market unto itself. Yeah. yeah. And now I just teach and lecture and, you know, create courses and do the things, you know, and I wrote a book. <laughs> Boundary Boss. Um, that's, that's the one I saw in the back. Do you have a copy of it? I just want everyone to... Beautiful, beautiful. Boundary, I, let's just dive into it. Boundary Boss. Um, I think it's such an important topic. Um, I think a lot of folks are struggling with, with boundaries. And I think a lot of folks struggling with boundaries don't even know they're struggling with boundaries. And so let's just start from the beginning, right? Yep. What are boundaries? Let's just start there. Yep. It's literally you knowing your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers. And then having the ability to clearly and concisely communicate those to the people in your life, professional, personal, anybody. Mm. That's according to me. There's lots of different definitions, right? Brene Brown says it's letting the people in your life know what's okay with you and what's not okay with you. So how do we know what are our boundaries versus what might, what we may have been conditioned to believe? Does that make sense? Like, like I might think, oh, that's my boundary, but it's just something I've been told I should believe or not believe or do or not. So how do I know what my preferences really are and to get to that point so I can set them authentically? Such a good question. Well, I talk about it this way. We all have this downloaded boundary blueprint in our unconscious Mm. mind. So it's like a paradigm that was downloaded in childhood from the culture, the country, the family of origin, Um, whether your family was sort of chaotic, if there was any addiction, any abuse, all the dysfunction that comes with every, (laughs) every family has their own. All of those things come together, the role in your family, the gender that you are, And they make up this unconscious way that you relate to boundaries. So if your family was a closed system, meaning not a lot of people were allowed to come in and out, that would impact the way that you think your home should be when you become an adult. If you had a maternal impactor who was a people pleaser and you identify with that maternal impactor, you think pleasing others is the way to be a woman, Mm. right? You think that is the right way to be. Most people, we don't even consciously think of how we relate to our boundaries. Yes. So the confusion and the pain that I talked about in my own life. So the first thing we do in the book and the first thing I do when I teach this, because I've been teaching this course for about five years, Mm. is we do your downloaded boundary blueprint. So this, this is a, a succession of questions mm. that you answer. So you start to get an actual snapshot of what you learned about communication, about problem solving, about how you should relate to yourself, how you should relate in love, how you should relate to others, all of those things. And, you know, so that takes a bit. There is some, yeah. you know, excavating and unearthing mm-hmm that is required so that you go, oh, because I want you to think about your boundary blueprint like the architectural blueprint for a house that someone else designed. 
you know, and most of the time we don't even question or challenge or even know it. We're like, oh, this is life. Yes, exactly. It is unconscious. Let's say now we start becoming aware of the boundary blueprint. I love that. The boundary blueprint is just a really cool way of framing it because I think it is an imprint that becomes a blueprint that we live out, you know, and plays out. Now we become aware of our boundary blueprint. What now? What do we do oh. now? Okay, this is this is my boundary blueprint. And someone looks at it and goes, oh, shit, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder my relationships are screwed up. Exactly. What the hell do I do now, Terry? Well, you look at it and you go, okay, what in this blueprint is not working for me? Oh, I learned that I should be an overgiver, that to, to get love, I need to overgive, overfunction, acquiesce to what everyone else wants, let's just say. You can look at that and go, oh, I see now. I learned that from my maternal impactor, as I would call someone's maternal impactor. And that is true for her, or that was true for them. But it doesn't have to be true for me. Because we start realizing, when you start looking at that, how you feel is always, you know, this is always going to be the indication of where you need boundaries. You're always going to go to your feeling state. Where do you feel unseen? Where do you feel resentful? Who are you angry with? Where have you accumulated resentment? That tells you that your boundaries are disordered in some way in that relationship. So, so the resentment or that emotion is a, is a signal? Yes. Mm, mm, mm. Got it. Clear. Why is it? I mean, so let's say someone now they know, okay, I, I need to set this boundary. I know. I need to set the boundary. I need to, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my, I need to, I need to set it. But I, but they don't feel that they can. Mm-hmm. That, that, feeling of it's not mental i mean it's 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 here how how can someone move through that feeling well part of what we do before you get to like the way that i write the book we're not like setting boundaries within it you know we're not doing anything new okay (laughs) until the end of the book Uh because you have to understand why you are relating to that boundary request the way that you are? Why does it feel so impossible? So there's this, I, I, I created this tool called the three cues for clarity, meaning the three questions. Okay. Because so much of the time we are repeating patterns from childhood. We are repeating mm. um, experiences, even if we don't want to. So Freud would call this repetition compulsion I call it repeating boundary realities. Mm -hmm. And this is the way the human brain and emotions are wired, that we have this compulsion to repeat dramatic or traumatic experiences, even if we don't want to, Mm -hmm. and even if we say we won't. So to know, and what ends up happening with that is in your current life, you end up responding or reacting in a current situation being fueled by unresolved 
pain or experience or an injury from the past. So this is that experience where you might um, get really mad really fast about something that if you were able to see it objectively, you'd be like, huh, I think my my reaction to that was kind of way bigger than what the thing was. Or if you find yourself in a repeated situation, let's say a relationship with someone who is unavailable, you're like, how could I find myself here again? But that's how. The how is that we as humans have a tendency to repeat the good and the bad, right? So what do you do? You want to... Could, 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 could sure. you just, before you go into the, what you do, could you share a bit more about why we repeat? You know, what is, yes. What, what, what is the why? Just, just so people can understand, like, because sometimes, yeah. you know, well, I don't want to do this. And, and yet I keep repeating it. I keep creating it. So what's that? What is that? Listen, we have deep neural pathways in our brain from these experiences. And the way that I look at it, this is not scientific. This is just me doing this for 25 years. Yes. Is that somewhere down deep, when we get into that next relationship, with that next person and we think this is it's going to be different this time i'm going to do it right this time i'm going to be good enough this time they're going to stay this time but if we do not understand what we're repeating or why without intervention the likelihood of a better ending which is it's almost like the kid inside of us wanting a do over mm. again and again and the only why I can tell you is that this is the way the brain responds to dramatic and traumatic events. Mm. So we also repeat the good things that our, our, our you know, parental impactors taught us, right? It's not just the bad things. But I know that this is counterintuitive when you hear like, huh, this terrible thing happened. It's the same way if someone is assaulted, they may and actually it's very common, that they then put themselves in a high-risk situation where it is very likely that they may be assaulted again. And this, there is part of the brain is trying to outsmart the fear, trying to get a different ending. So, you know, Freud talks about it sort of one way. I, I extrapolated on Freud's theory of this repetition compulsion, which is basically what the theory is called, because we see this in family systems, right? You have parents, let's just say, who bickered all the time, and you're like, hell no, that's never going to be me. I'm never doing that until you're doing it. Mm. So it's what we know. Yeah. So part of it is that it's familiar. So the default, if we don't make an active, conscious, mindful choice, just saying, I'm going to do it differently, doesn't actually give you the skills to do it differently. Mm. So part of it is the familiarity of the experience. So, and you can, you can see, right, how that would complicate our ability to communicate healthily to even know what is going on because this is an unconscious process. Yeah. But when you get um, hip to the way that it works, mm -hmm. you start to feel in your own body when you might be having, it's called a transference. Mm. And when you feel that, 
or if you're in a repeated situation, so let's just say the person with the unavailable partner, you say to yourself, you ask the three questions, which are, who does this person remind me of? Where have I felt like this before? And how or why is this behavioral dynamic, right? The way we're interacting. So let's say with the unavailable person, the person's pursuing them and they're moving backwards. They're moving away from them. The, the person who is in the repetition is in longing, mm-hmm. trying to get attention, trying to get connection. Where, have you, where is that, right? How is that behavioral dynamic familiar? You would be surprised at how often something comes to your mind. Um, I'm going to give you a quick example, may I? Because Wait, I feel can, like, can, you, can sure. you just repeat those three questions again? Because I think it's sure. so important to say those and then let's go into the example. Okay. Uh, who does this person remind me of? And when I say that, they don't have to look like them. They could just energetically remind you. They could physically remind you. The words they say could be reminiscent. Um, where have I felt like this before? And how is this behavioral dynamic, the way we're interacting, how is that familiar to me? It's kind of like, was I in that dynamic before? Did I witness that dynamic between my folks, between, you know? So those are the questions. And in the book, I do do a little bit more, like, flushing it out. I think those questions are so on point, yeah. So So the example. So... When I was in grad school, I was in um, an internship and I had a boss there Mm. and I did not like this boss, but I was really afraid of him. And so I would go into my therapist's office and keep in mind, I had been running a talent agency. Like I'm not generally a scared person of too much. Mm. And so I would go into my therapist weekly and be like, I can't believe what a jerk Dr. Washington and what Dr. Washington is. He's so cold. He's so judgmental. And keep in mind, Coot, I had barely interacted with this guy because I was so hell-bent on avoiding him that if he came down the hallway and I was walking, I would jump into the ladies' room to avoid passing him. If he was in a meeting, I would not talk, which is also so not my personality. Right? I'm really quite a joiner and a leader, sort of. And by the third week when I was complaining, my therapist is like, okay, so I want you to describe him again. I was like, oh, you know the type. He's tall, good looking. He has dimples, has a really deep voice, doesn't talk much. You know, he's like a Brooks Brothers suit wearing Wall Street Journal reading, probably a martini drinking, golfing. Just that kind of a jerk. (laughs) She goes, (laughs) she's like, "Um, who does that remind you of? And I was like, oh, I could not believe Uh that I did not make the connection to my father. Mm -hmm. That this person reminded me so much of my father who I grew up being very afraid of, avoiding like the plague. And I'm not lying when I say my parents got divorced when I was 13. And I think I exchanged less than 100 words with my father before my parents got divorced. So I was scared of him. And so were all my sisters and so was my mother. And he wasn't physically abusive or anything, but he was just intimidating and so quiet and cold. I felt like he should have had boys. He had a bunch of girls. Like Anyway, what my therapist said, which was so revolutionary, she's like, Terry, 
And the she, this is how the, this is the basis of the three cues for me, because then I started, of course, doing it with my clients and having them, I wanted them to have those realizations too. She said, Terry, do you understand? It's not about you sort of wrongly judging your boss, like who cares, right? It's that you become your 10-year-old self mm. and your boss became your unavailable or judgmental father. And so literally, how is, don't you want a job at this place when you graduate? Like, how is that going to happen if you never talk in the meetings when he's there? If you, if you run around hiding from your boss, he'll never know how smart you are and how capable you are. And the moment that I realized I was having this profound yeah. transference, I was no longer afraid of him. Mm -hmm. I started talking in meetings. I did get a job there when I graduated, but I felt I feel like that that's a, an example you can see. Yeah. Beautiful. Them to. Is there anything that uh, you can explain or speak to that stops us from seeing the transference? Is there is is there like like because in that moment it's like so obvious. My father. Oh my! But you were not able to see it, and I think so often. We don't like, oh my God, I'm in a relationship with my mother. Oh my God, I'm in a relationship with my... And, and so is there something that stops us from seeing what is so obvious? Because sometimes let's say we go into a relationship and it's so obvious, everybody can see it, but we can't. Or, mm -hmm. or we say to our friends, no, 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 Terry, this time is different. He's different. She's different. And then uh -huh. sure enough, three months later, same. Same, same shit. And so what is that inside of us as human beings that we're not able to see? Well, something needs our attention. Mm. Something from an earlier phase of development. And so that becomes predominant. In that moment, you are activated. I don't love to use the word triggered because it's so used and misused out there in the world. But that's really what happens. What does it mean to, I call it being activated? I had no insight into what might be happening, partly because I didn't even know that that was a process. At that point in my own psychotherapeutic development, I was unaware how powerful and real. I believed that story that I was telling myself. Had I looked at my behavior, why I say to my clients and what I teach in this book and in my courses is that we become, through the process of the book, you are going to become the observer of yourself without judgment, mm. only curiosity, yes. understanding there's always a parallel process going on. Whenever you're stuck somewhere, something else is going on. It doesn't mean, that's not to diminish that maybe you are in a bad situation. It doesn't mean if we have an overreaction, meaning a, a transference reaction in a situation, that doesn't mean the other person didn't do the thing mm. we think they did. It means that our reaction is elevated and amplified because there's something from an earlier phase of development that needs our attention. Mm. So I needed to go back and say, what part of me is still having this deep fear of my father? Why is that being activated? Talk about it in therapy. Is there something I need to talk to my father about now? And there was. And so I can clean up the old injury so it's not driving my current behaviors, choices, and reactions. 
Is there anything else that in that moment one can do to work with that part of ourselves in transference? Is there anything else, any other guidance if someone's feeling that activation? Mm-hmm. Like, let's say they're in a moment of activation. Well, yeah. Where do they I'm really charged, I'm really active. What, what, what now in, that, in, in the moment? Not after the moment, right? Like, right. I'm in it. Breathe. <laughs> Give yourself space. Realize that nobody needs an instant answer from you. Like if the house is not on fire or you're not talking about a minor child, give yourself grace and space. Get good at saying, you know, I'm not sure how I'm feeling right now. I'll get back to you on that. We're so afraid to take up space and to assert what we need. You don't have to know in the moment exactly what's happening. You really don't. You're allowed to say, Hey, so I give you all these ideas in the book of how to buy time. How can you just go, hey, I need a, you know, I'm going to get something to drink. I'm going to go into the kitchen. I'm going to use the ladies' room. I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. And in those moments, then you breathe and you go, okay, who does it right now? What is happening? Who does this person remind me of? Oh my gosh, this reminds me of, it, it will come to you. And sometimes that's enough. Right, right, right. To break you out of the transference reaction so that you can now choose to come from your adult Mm. self, not your 10-year-old self. Because we don't want the 10 or the 5 or the 7-year-old making choices in our marriages and our lives and our relationships and our careers. Got it. It's beautiful. Um, Healthy boundaries, unhealthy boundaries. Is there such a thing as unhealthy boundaries and what, yes. what does that look like? Healthy boundaries. What does that, what does, what does that look like? Especially for those, those that might be listening that they just have no idea what healthy boundaries are. And so kind of give us a clarification yeah. point. So boundaries come in different categories. If your boundaries are too porous, that means they're too malleable. They're too loose. You're more of like the pushover or the chameleon or the peacekeeper. I have mm-hmm. a, actually I have a boundary quiz online. It's free. It's just boundaryquiz.com, yeah. which you answer 13 questions and it sort of gives you your baseline, like your boundary archetype. So that's one category of boundaries, which is too loose. And then if your boundaries are rigid, it means they're too tight, they're too big, they're too extreme, they're out of proportion to what's going on. That's also disordered boundaries. And I Mm -hmm. think that, you know, people like to think that, or the myth is that if you have good boundaries, your boundaries are big and they're bad and they're mean and you're yelling at people and you're bawling people out and you're saying no all the time. And that's not true at all Mm -hmm. because any form of boundary that gets in the way of what you want in life is an unhealthy boundary, huh. right? It, it's, they can go both ways. So examples of if they're too porous, you might be saying yes when you want to say no, right? You might be over-functioning, over-giving. This is more for people who lean towards codependency mm-hmm. in relationships, which I categorize as just being overly invested in the feeling states, 
the decisions, the outcomes of the people we care about to the detriment of our own internal peace. Listen, yes. we're, we're, we're all invested in the people we love, you know. It really has to be to the detriment of your emotional health, your financial right. health, for it to be codependency. You're overgiving, someone is overtaking, right? So over and under functioning is a good indication of a codependent relationship. Mm-hmm. So if your boundaries are too, so the, the, it, I was giving you some examples of too, too loose, is hard to say no, but also hard to set limits. Sort of mm. going along to get along because mm. the fear of rejection or the fear of confrontation is so great that your thing in life is to keep the peace. But keeping mm. the peace, you know, starts eventually starts a war within yourself. There's no, there's just yeah. no way to do that forever, you know. Mm-hmm. And then if we look at two rigid boundaries, it's you know, if you think that you know what everyone should be doing and that why you think everyone in the world is an idiot and a moron and why it's easy, I don't get why you can't figure it out, kind of being judgmental, yeah, hyper-independent, um, not asking for help, mm. not accepting help, even mm. when it's like the cab driver who's like, hey, let me get your bag. And you're like, I'm good, I got it, don't worry. You're, you're putting your own bag in the back of the taxi. Mm. Not, not that I have any experience with that, but <laughs> <laughs> so those are the two extremes and you can have you most people are not just one. You yeah. may be, I've had so many of my female clients who were like, literally like masters of the universe, right? Changing the world, CFOs, CEOs, incredibly famous. And they are, so their boundaries at work were good, appropriate. Mm setting limits, being clear about what they needed. Then they'd get into a romantic relationship and just it would just all go to crap where they're like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know. I don't know what mm, I'm doing. Mm, mm. I feel like I have to acquiesce to what the other person wants. I don't want to say it. I'm afraid they're going to reject me. Like, so, so it isn't just like, oh, I only have this. And you mm. may. Some people have porous boundaries everywhere. But if you're a mixture, which you'll be able to tell if you take the boundary quiz. Yep. That's also common, but usually you, you can get a predominant style. There's mm. um, seven archetypes on that quiz and you can sort of get your predominant style. So let's look at healthy boundaries. Yes. With healthy boundaries, it means you know what you think, you know how you feel. And even if you don't, it's okay because you're going to figure it out. You can accept someone else's boundaries If someone says no to you, you're not losing your mind over it or being like, I can't believe Betty is so mean. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have, you know, if you have porous boundaries, I found that when my 20s, mine were too loose. And I, if someone said no to me, I would literally be bawling my eyes out. Like it would be so painful, partly because I feel like, oh, I've been saying yes when I mean no for my whole life. You Mm -hmm. should be doing it too, Betty. Who are you to have healthy boundaries? You know? So with healthy boundaries, you can accept, you can talk to people who disagree with your opinion on things without taking it all so personally or getting super activated. Mm -hmm. Um, You can ask for what you need. You can make a simple request. You can tell the truth about how you feel. And it doesn't mean you have to have those things mastered. But when you have healthy boundaries, 
usually that comes from a healthy sense of self where you you have a certain amount of self-confidence in who you are or that what you think matters, but not more than matters more than what your partner thinks or your business partner thinks, just that it matters enough for you to say something. And you, and you know that you're not that fragile when you have healthy boundaries. What I find with both of the other porous and rigid boundaries, we have no trust that the people in our life are not that fragile, that we are not that fragile, that our relationships are durable and it's okay. You can have conflict. You can do something and the other person cannot like it. And it doesn't have to end your relationship. If someone is giving you auto advice and that's not what you need because you're coming to them because you have a heart, you know, you want them to witness you, you can say, hey, you know what? I appreciate, I know you're trying to help, but what I really would love right now, if you could just witness me, I'm not, I'm not seeking input. I really just need you to be with me because I'm in pain right now. And it really helps that you know that I'm, that I'm struggling. It's interesting. You just made me think. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see at least part, not partly what's happening in aspects of our culture um, as you know, there's a lot of divisiveness in our culture. It's like, oh, you know, you supported Biden, you supported Trump. I mean, you're getting a vaccine. You're not getting a vaccine. I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of polarization and, 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 and seeing a lot of folks saying, if you're going to get a vaccination, I will not be your friend. If you're going to support Trump, I will not be your friend. And, and mm-hmm. so it feels like it, there's certain rigidity to, to the black or white thinking doesn't allow a sense of understanding, compassion, empathy, listening, you know, inclusiveness for the differences, you know. And, and it feels like a limit, like maybe a form of limited boundary for boundary setting. Would that be a way of looking at things? Um, absolutely. It's meaning everyone has become so rigid. Yeah. The boundaries are so rigid, like my way or the highway, pal. Mm. That's it. Mm. No, no open dialogue. But yeah. part of it is because this has been a long time coming in this country. So we hit mm. the tipping point. And, you know, sometimes it's, you just got to burn it down. Like some, mm. sometimes the changes that need to happen are so deep and so deeply rooted mm. that it's almost like we... I, I don't know. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not an expert on this. I can just say my own feeling about it is that we need to change. And we've had, a, you know, this was a rough period of time emboldening a lot of hate. Yes. And so speaking up for love and inclusiveness and, you know, becoming actually actively anti-racist, that's each of our jobs right mm-hmm. and it's not it's not an optical thing it's a it's an actual personal responsibility thing listen according to me right mm-hmm. we got to do our own work the world has changed and our perception of the world at least certainly in the US and, and the world too because of the pandemic yeah but has changed we are trying to reckon with this 450 year history so there is a lot going on People feel fragile. 
I felt fragile in three and a half years ago when my own awakening around race started happening and all doing all the wrong things because I was like, all the things, just I'm not even saying them, you know what they are. <laughs> you know, I had a boyfriend. No, this is not what it's about. Right, right. <laughs> it's understanding our participation simply by being, by benefiting yeah. from systemic racism. But anyway, yeah. I think that back to your point, the boundaries have become incredibly rigid. Mm. And hopefully now we're going to be moving closer together. And there's so many people doing amazing work around this, opening up the dialogues. And it's not easy, but it what, is what important. Does, what does, and I, to be honest, I don't even know the question I want to ask you here, Terry, but I'm mm -hmm. going to throw it out. Is where, because there is some boundary point in what I'm trying to ask. Where does the line stand in terms of we want to be inclusive? You know, we want to be open, dialogue, inclusive, not just cut people off that don't, their reality doesn't align with ours. Mm -hmm. It'd be, be quite limiting. But is there a point where, or, or how do we navigate if there is, is there a point where we can be too inclusive, you know, let's say uh, inclusive, okay? But there's a white supremacist who wants to kill me, you know? Uh, got to set a boundary or, yeah. you know, this person believes in pedophilia. I mean, <laughs> wait a second, you know? So, so where, I, I guess it's not really a question, but it's, it's kind of an exploration because the where does the inclusivity expand to? And where do we know where to be like, wait a second, in well, a healthy well, way? You, yeah, you're with, talking without, about... Without coming from a reactiveness. So I don't know if it's like a collective boundary or, you know, th 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 there's something in there that I'm curious about that I'm trying to ask. But anyway, I'm I, I, th I think I understand what you're saying. And I look at these things as moral and integrity issues. Mm. So I don't feel at all compelled. Mm. to include someone who's in the Ku Klux Klan yes. in my inclusiveness, because I know that you are far away from the light. You mm. are wrong. <clears throat> I believe that. So it's the same way that I don't, I don't, like you said, someone who believes in pedophilia, I don't feel compelled to be like, we should include you too. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to myself because morally, it is wrong. So this is what happened with it. You know, the vaccinations are one thing. The Trump thing is a whole different ball of wax where people were like, why are you making the political, you know, public basically and in your business? And I was like, listen, ma'am, I'm a humanist. That's who I am. And so I will take that stand of this person being bad for what we're doing bad for humankind. So I, I think, you know, that there is something in there. When I think inclusiveness, when I'm talking about the, the racial division that has gone on, that's the inclusiveness mm. I'm caring about, is the equality and making yeah. sure that there is any equality, no. moving over and pulling someone else's chair up to the table and being mindful in a way that you're raised in, you're a white woman raised in the US, no way in hell. Even though I was raised to not be prejudiced, mm. 
Mm. It doesn't matter Mm. because you're a part of the system. So Mm. I think that the internal boundary shifts that I've seen, you didn't ask this, but this is just a side note of this, is that there's a whole recalibration of relationship to self, to the system, to privilege to the, these benefits, like they're there, whether you, you think they are or not. So anyway, it's, I've done a lot of work in three and a half years and I continue to, because yeah. I want to, and because that feel, that is my job to do for myself, you know? Awesome. Thank you. Um, okay. Now let's say someone back to the individual for a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they, they've come to a sense of, okay, uh, this is cool. That's not cool. I, I get a sense of, how I feel about this. I get a sense of what's not okay. I get a sense of what I like, what I don't like, my preferences. Clear, Terry, I'm clear. I got it. How now are there some key steps to, or guidance to effectively communicate those boundaries in loving ways? Because I think part of, one of the fears that people have is uh, being mean or coming across, you know, like a monster. And so... Yeah. What are some guiding posts to communicate the boundaries with, with love, with kindness, with empathy, but still be firm? Yep. There's so many. Um, I'm going to give you some right now, but some of the sentence stems, we'll call them, or the sentences that you can use. I mean, starting with, I'd like to make a simple request. Because no matter how you look at it, all requests actually are simple, whether the person will do them or not remains to be seen. And that's actually from um, Marshall Rosenberg's work in nonviolent communication. Um, I would really, let's say someone is interrupting you. You're telling a story. You can say, I would really appreciate it if you would let me finish my story before you tell yours. And then I'm all ears for you. Mm. Right? We don't have to use a sledgehammer. We're afraid we do, but you don't. And in the book I give you, you could start with Hey, I thought you should know. How about, hey, I thought you should know. In last Wednesday's meeting, when you were talking over, when you were on your phone, it was, I found it really distracting. I'd like to make a simple request that you not do that next Wednesday's meeting. Right? Um, I wanted to bring this to your attention. I wanted to get this on your radar. Uh, I was thinking about what happened last Wednesday, and I wanted to tell you something. Um, I've noticed that when I'm talking, um, you are frequently on your phone. Can you put it down and really be with me, please? If I'm talking to someone and they're on their phone, you no, know, I will say, I'll wait. So if I'm talking and someone starts looking at their phone, I stop talking and, uh, and I just will say, I'm not even being passive aggressive, I'm really not. They might have a babysitter at home, there might be something important. And I always say, I'll, I'll wait until you're done. And if they say, no, no, I'm listening. I'm like, oh, no, hmm. you're not. Because you know what, dude? I could be doing a billion other things. I need you to listen with your ears and your eyes. So I'm happy to wait. If that's important, I'll wait until you're done. Hmm. Now, that may be more firm than someone else wants to do it. But that works for me because I could be doing a million other things. Yeah. I don't need to be talking to you while you're scrolling Instagram because you don't need to be scrolling Instagram right now. <laughs> you could be looking at my face and talking to me, you know? Um, another thing, if, if you are in a, an argument or like a, a tough spot, 
there are, there are things that you can do to minimize the other person's resistance yeah. to kind of working it out. Like you can say, okay, so, so help me to understand. You're, you're giving them an opening. Like, like what happened for you? But, but help me to understand is a good one. Another one that I love is, um, babe, it's, it's not you against me. Let's look at it this way. It's you and me against this problem and we can figure it out, but let's do it together. Mm. Trying to take the whole polarization out. If it gets too heated, you can step out, right? You can say, let's not do this. Not like this. Right. Yeah. This isn't going to go where we want it to. And, and I love you. And I don't want to be having this type of interaction with you. Can we please put a pin in this until we're cooler heads mm. prevail later? Mm. So there's a million, you know, what you want to do is avoid never, always, <laughs> but actually, well, I can't stand that one. When you're talking and someone's convincing you that what you think is wrong, they're like, but actually it was last Wednesday, you know, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. um, the truth is, is also annoying in a fight. And someone saying, unfortunately, you know, like, like you misunderstood what was going on. So we'd like to stay away from those things. That I would be it. great. Yeah. Yeah. What about when, when, let's say a couple in love, Terry, they, you know, they, there's a boundary clash, right? Her boundaries, it's authentic for her, clarities, and it's authentic for him. And, it, how, how do they navigate that? How do they, I mean, maybe let's say she wants a kid. He doesn't want a kid or, you know, and she's like, nope. And he's like, yeah. And, but they really love each other. Like, okay. So, so we look at the way that we decide mm. how to uh, negotiate for our needs and our boundaries is we look at the categories. Is this thing that is happening between us a preference, yeah. a desire, nice. a limit, that I would like to set, or is it a total deal breaker? Then whoever, like with my husband and I, the way that we do it is whoever it's more important to, and because we've been together 25 years, it's like, you know, we, we, there's trust that you won't say that everything is the most important thing if it's not. So that's how we decide things where if it's important and I'll say to him, is it a deal breaker for you? Now, that doesn't mean deal breaker, you're going to leave me, but meaning it's that important. Mm. You really want me to do that thing or stop doing that thing or go to that event. He sa- if he says it is, I'm like, I'm in. I'm so in. You mm. want me to go to that event that I didn't originally want to go to, but you just told me it's important to you. I'm mm. going. Black tie, classical music, all the things I don't like. Great. Because you, I like. <laughs> So is, it, it, it's so then it's not a experience as a compromise for your integrity, your essence. Well, here's the this thing: is distinguish that because I don't want people. That's to go, exactly oh, right, though. I love no. I love my husband, but I'm constantly, you know, or, or I'm compromising my essence to go to this thing. Or Mm-mm. no, that's a great distinction. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Me going to see classical music. Mm-hmm. That's just like a preference, right? It mm-hmm. just wouldn't be my preference. Mm-hmm. But if he loves it, I'm happy to do yeah. that because it, it doesn't do anything bad to me. Yeah. If you're talking about someone feels like they need to have a child and that is a very important thing to them. Yeah. This is why it's so important that you establish boundaries early, early. and often 
Don't think that someone's going to change their mind. Don't, don't step away from what's important to you. If you want to be a parent and you're in the dating scene, say that. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't work for that person, better to know now. Why waste another two years of your life? And listen, there's a million ways to become a mom, right? Mm-hmm. You don't actually need someone else unless you want to do it that way. And that is your prerogative. Yeah. But I think that it's, it's almost like we deny our own wants and desires because we're so afraid they won't happen sometimes. But in the end, like having a child, I've had a lot of single women in my practice who will be like, well, not meant to be, not in the cards. Then as the biological clock really gets going, they're, they're panicking and feeling like, I'm just going to do it with this person because I really want to have a kid. Mm. And I'm like, you would be better off freezing your eggs, taking your time, having your gay friend give you some sperm. Mm. Like, There's a million ways to yep. create humans if you want to. There's a million to adopt. There's a million to foster. Mm. Um, but it's almost like the denial until the truth really comes out. Mm. And again, I always say, listen, you're not that fragile. Want, as my friend Danielle Laporte would say, want what you want with all your heart. Right? That's how we, we create and manifest the things in our lives. But we have to have the courage to admit what we want because you should have your heart's desire, Coot. Everyone should. Yep. Oh, beautiful. Love this conversation, Terry. <laughs> it's beautiful, beautiful. Um, feel like we could talk forever, but, uh, uh, and you're welcome anytime. Honestly, I think there's Same. a lot, there's a lot of, uh, really important practical insights that you you've shared in terms of setting boundaries. Um, before I ask you the final question, is there anything around boundaries that you feel like, Oh, this is super important that everyone has to know about boundaries like this. Is there anything else? Cause I have one more question for you, but I'm just wondering, yes. Because I'm feeling there might be. I, I've actually created um, a gift for your people. Mm. And this is about the, the intersection of boundaries and codependency. Mm. Because I feel like there is very little really known about it. And it's stuff that you can readily learn. So I, I created a little video for you and a little downloadable guide. And it'll be at boundaryboss.me forward slash soul talk. Uh-huh. Awesome. Awesome. And if you want, if they want to get the book, go to boundarybossbook.com. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put all the links in the show notes for sure. Right. Excellent. If you, um, if you were to reflect on your life and everything you've been through, ups, downs, relationship, life, you know, everything, uh, and you were to think of the three most valuable life lessons that you feel you've learned, <laughs> and if you could only pass these three keys to, you know, your next generation, children, grandchildren, and so forth of the world uh, that you feel would evolve their consciousness the most, I would love to know what the three Terry Cole keys would be. Um, Self-love is the only path to any other love worth having. And that was hard one, but it's true. Mm. Um, Boundaries are not the blocks to epic relationships. They're the bridges. And the last thing is what you want matters. So it's your job to prioritize that. 
what you want, how you feel, what you think matters. And you, your relationship with yourself sets the bar for every other relationship in your life. What you want matters. Boundaries are not the block, they're the bridge and self-love, folks. You heard the three keys from the amazing Terry Cole, author of Boundary Boss. Can you give uh, the, the website again where people can get the, the free gift and the best website that people can find out more about you and your work? Yes. So for the free gift, go to boundaryboss.me forward slash soul talk. Awesome. You can go get the book and a whole bunch of bonuses at boundarybossbook.com. You can take the boundary quiz at boundaryquiz.com. And you can find me on social media at Terry Cole. Awesome. Terry, can you assign everyone a homework, just a one minute quick homework assignment, something practical that they can literally just go and implement right now? I know you shared a lot, but I'm just wondering, give them one thing that they can do right now. Okay. Uh, For the next 24 hours, you're going to write down every time you said yes when you wanted to say no, every time you overgave or you auto-accommodated someone else, every time you overfunctioned, every time you took on something that wasn't your own. And in 24 hours, you're going to have a snapshot of where you should put your energy to step back from some of those behaviors. Awesome. Folks, you heard it. 24-hour challenge. Let me know how it goes, gang. Uh, send me an email, folks, kooplaxon at kooplaxon.com. I would love to hear your key takeaways from today's amazing episode with Terry Cole, author of Boundary Boss, and let me know your experience with a challenge. It was an amazing episode, Terry. Love you. Thank you so Thank much you. for having me, Coop. Bless you. Uh, folks, too. check out all of uh, Terry's work and get her free gift. You can go to her website. We will put all the, the links in the show notes. Uh, share this episode with everyone that you love. Share it on social media, subscribe to Soul Talk, write a review, all of that good stuff. Sending you lots of love until next week. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at cooplaxon.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.